You know, whether one is suffering from active addiction or not, uh, everyone needs to be changed. And that's that uh, sounds too innocuous. It's, that sounds too, um, too bland. Uh, what we really need is to come to a, the point where we recognize that, that the change that we need uh, is not just even transformation. We need recreation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has acted in his Son in such a manner as to deliver us from enslavement to sin and bring us into a new regenerate state by the work of grace through the Spirit and through the hearing of the gospel so that we are actually a recreated humanity. That speaks to the depth of the need itself, that God would speak to us in the gospel of the need for recreation, regeneration, renewal, speaks to the depth and the breadth of the brokenness and the fallenness of depraved humanity. Now, we recognize, of course, that just because not everybody is as openly depraved and heinous and evil as they are capable of being, doesn't mean that they aren't by nature. Uh, there is common grace, and there is restraining grace within society and within the world. God has not given the world over completely to its um, sinful ways, sinful manners. But that does not mean that by nature that we don't need regeneration and recreation. We don't need to be made anew. And so the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God in his Son has come to create a new humanity. Not just give you a get-out-of-jail-free card when you sin, called grace, and call it grace, because that's not grace. Grace is that which brings you to a point of recognizing your utter brokenness, your utter depravity, and your absolute need for a Savior. And not just a Savior from punishment or for dam from dam damnation or condemnation, but a Savior from who you are, what you are. And so this is the good news that we are encountering within Second Corinthians, is Paul's message of, as a minister of the new covenant of the Spirit, which is the promise of not just change, because that's, that's just not strong enough a word. It's the promise of recreation, a new heart, a new mind, a new humanity in Jesus Christ. Now, in our recent series on the divine yes in Christ, I introduced you to some pretty heavy concepts, and, and, <clears throat> and they're only heavy because we are so seldom taught well within our churches these days. We're, we're given a lot of, of milk and very little meat. We're given a lot of 
uh, partial understanding of the gospel, and very rarely do we move on to the whole counsel of God, uh, possibly because even our pastors, teachers don't know it. They're just handing us what they were given in seminary or through their own tradition or down through generations. But we have discovered in our study in 2 Corinthians that it is possible to have a partial understanding of the gospel, which everyone starts out with. No one is converted. No one comes to be born of the Spirit. Initially, with a a full understanding of the gospel, any more than a baby uh, comes to a full meal deal at the smorgasbord. They start with mother's milk. They start with milk, and then they move up to solid food and then grow from there. And so we too start out with a partial understanding of the gospel. It is an effectual understanding, uh, meaning that it, it allows us to experience conversion, genuine regeneration by the Spirit, so that we are born anew. We have a new nature. Uh, God has uh, recreated us in a very real sense, that we are no longer who we once were, um, and we are no longer what we were, except by habit, except by um, our, our need to be yet to be renewed in our mind, and thus transformed. So I mentioned to you recently that there's conversion and then there's transformation. That we need to move on into um, a state of transformation. Now, so I want to just take some of the concepts that I've mentioned in the previous lessons on the divine yes in Christ and just review them a little bit so that you can understand the basis upon which God will um, bring about this transformation of ever-increasing conformity to Christ in thought, word, and deed. A process that began when you were born of the Spirit. You were given a new nature. You've been made partakers in the divine nature. We have this, these wonderful promises, it says in First Peter chapter 1 whereby we have been made partakers in the divine nature. So, uh, I want to talk with you a little bit more then about 1 Corinthians one twenty, and that has to do with God's promises being fulfilled in Jesus. That God's promises to Israel, uh, the promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to, Mo- and to the prophets Moses and, and uh, David, were fulfilled in the new covenant, the covenant that was consecrated by Jesus' own blood. And so God's promises are fulfilled. The new covenant is the fulfillment. It stands alone as the fulfillment of all the previous biblical covenants. And you have to be clear about that. Uh, there's a lot of um, tradition out there right now, and it, it muddies the water. Uh, evangelicalism, as we understand it, is defined by two prominent systems of theology. Uh, what has come to be known as dispensationalism, with its emphasis on Israel and the rapture and so on, um, and historic and prophecy and, and so on. Um, 
it's also called Darbyism, by the way. It came out of the same cultish um, era that did Mormonism and Jehovah Witnessism. It's just that dispensationalism made it into the mainstream, sadly. And then there's the Reformed um, Covenantal structure, both of which are systems of theology that, quite frankly, are imposed upon the text in, of Scripture to make it say what, it, what they need it to say to support their system. And so um, this is very common. This has been going on throughout redemptive history. Uh, I read you Mark 7 before, uh, verse 9, where Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and told them, you have a fine way of breaking the commands of God in order to support your tradition. So remember, the Word of God, the pure, simple Word of God, has never been well-received by God's people. It, it, there's always been a, a struggle. There's always been a resistance. And, and, and so it, it takes some real commitment. It takes some real devotion to be able to recognize your, the depth of your need to the point where you're willing to call into question or at least examine your tradition, your religious tradition, whether you're a Baptist or whether you're a Presbyterian or whether you're an Anglican, to, to call that tradition into question uh, and search the scriptures to see if whether or not your tradition is truly biblical. I must tell you, I went through that myself. I didn't do it deliberately. It just so happened that in early recovery 30 years ago, I was in a world of hurt. I was in a lot of emotional pain, and I was committed. I was devoted to not going back to my coping mechanisms. Um, uh, and so I didn't know what to do other than to pray and, and read my Bible to try to soothe my soul and to calm my mind. And so I, I got a little New Testament, a little uh, pocket New Testament, and I just began to read it. I didn't try to study it necessarily. I didn't try to do any interpretive work. I just read it from Matthew through Revelation. Uh, sometimes I'd read it while I was driving, which was a little dangerous, so I got it on tape and began to listen to it instead while I was driving. And, and, I, and I found that as I listened to the text of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and Acts, and Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians, and all through the New Testament, over and over and over and over again, that I discovered the value of hearing the Word of God within its own context. I had been in a tradition for 20 years that had given me a lot of Bible verses, but they were Bible verses that were mostly ripped out of their context and made to say something that within its context, it didn't say. So I'm appealing to you today to, to listen to my studies in, entitled The Divine Yes in Christ, Part 1 and 2, and then take what I say there in those studies, especially about the, the divine yes in Christ, meaning that all of God's promises to Israel have been fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that you will discover that 
Jesus himself is the new covenant. Isaiah 42, 6-7 and Isaiah 49, 8-9 speak to the fact that God was speaking to someone. Uh, well, let me just read it to you. Isaiah 42, 6-7. It won't take just, just a moment here. But what I'm appealing to you uh, for here is to consider what I'm saying about making your tradition subject to the scripture rather than the scripture subject to your tradition, which is the typical way of think, doing things. People will say, well, the Bible says. Well, does it say that? Does it say that within context? And then to discover that there's actually a theme throughout scripture, especially the New Testament. There's this New Covenant theme, New Covenant of the Spirit, as Paul calls it and his, defines his ministry. Isaiah 42.6, just as one example, uh, he says this, the Lord says this through the prophet, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Speaking to Israel, by the way. This is, uh, this is Isaiah speaking to Israel, the nation. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, that in Isaiah 49, which you hear something very similar, is also a messianic prophecy. It's a word to Israel, which is also a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 49, 8 reads this way. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, Come out, and those in darkness be free. Now those are messianic prophecies. And the first one I met, read especially was fulfilled when Jesus came in Luke chapter 2. These are wonderful connections here. Luke chapter 2 Verse 30, well, we'll start with verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. This is Simeon, having received the child Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is, he's speaking this, Simeon's speaking of this, of the baby Jesus. And then one other quick reference is Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 47. Where we read, Paul and Barnabas are answering to the crowd, um, 
let's see. And he's actually speaking to a crowd of Jews on the Sabbath. And he says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us, quote, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Everything that God had promised to Israel was fulfilled in the Messiah, was fulfilled in Jesus, who in his person became not only the temple, the new temple, but the new Israel. Jesus is the seed through which Abraham's seed. He is the seed, the fulfillment through which God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. We read that in Galatians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, let me take as an example from everyday life, uh, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scriptures does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people. You get that? That's the New Testament. That's the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scriptures does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Jesus is Israel in his body. That's why he was baptized for righteousness. That's why he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, came down upon him and he immediately went into the wilderness to do what Israel had failed to do in the wilderness and that was overcome the temptations of Satan. And then he went out into the world under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit and ministered and spoke the word of God, suffered and died in atoning, atoning work for his people. He rose from the dead to show that his people had been atoned for and justification was now theirs. And a new creation had been begun because he was now in a glorified body which was ascended where, where he now sits at the right hand of the Father where he will remain until he returns for his own. So everything has been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is Israel. Jesus is the new covenant. Jesus is the promised seed. Now, are there Jews today? Is there a nation of Israel? Yes, they are. And they have yet, they have desperate need for salvation. They have desperate need for the gospel. No less than their Gentile neighbors. That's always been the case. It is now. What we have to be prepared to do, especially if you're from a Gentile, excuse me, a Gentile, a dispensational background, is make the transition away from the focus on national Israel and back upon Jesus, who is true Israel in himself. Listen, it was shocking in John chapter 2 when Jesus declared his body to be the temple. 
Remember that? Remember when Jesus told the, the Jews gathered, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up? And they were so literally minded that they could not understand what he was saying. But John says in John chapter 2, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus, in his early ministry, in John chapter 2, had done many miracles, done many wonderful works at the feast, at the festival. And now he was declaring himself to be the new temple. Listen, it should not be hard to understand, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, the New Covenant, the Bible itself is Christ-focused, and so must you be. I'm saying all this because it is really important to understand this principle. That the new covenant of the Spirit, the ministry of the new covenant of the Spirit, of which Paul declared openly was his ministry, that of he and his associates, Timothy and Silas, is the God-ordained means by which you are to be converted and then transformed as you are conformed into the image of God's only Son in thought, word, and deed, and in yes, by nature. As you await his return, when one day you will actually see him as he is and share with him a glorified body and a new heaven and a new earth within which you will live eternally. And that process has started. It's already begun. It's a process that Jesus inaugurated with his first coming and will bring to a consummation with his second coming. So we are in a now, and we're in a not yet state, but we are in a now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And though it is yet to be fully realized, today, beloved, is the day of salvation. So turn your eyes away from anything that is not Jesus Christ. Put your eyes and ears and heart and focus on him alone. He is Israel. He is the new covenant. He is the seed of Abraham. He is all in all, the Alpha and the Omega. And rejoice in him. May the Lord continue to strengthen you as you grow in his grace. Hope you come back again. We're going to continue to look at bits and pieces of this series I've just done, Divine Yes in Christ. Just try to elaborate a little bit on some of these pieces so you can better and more fully understand and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen.